0: Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD News reporter Will Stevenson. First up, crime. Some still think crime is increasing in Peoria, but in 2022, nothing was further from the truth. Homicides, shots fired, calls, and other similar statistics all declined from the record homicide year in 2021. And 2022 started almost right away with two homicides. So far this year, none. I talked about the statistics recently with Peoria Police Chief Eric Echevarria. I know you still have more time and effort to put into the uh, to put into the data yet, but uh, at least from the numbers that you released today, everything looks not that it was may have been that hard, but it looks uh, certainly better than last year.
1: Right? You know, and last year was historically high. Right? These the numbers that I think across the nation, you know, agencies and cities were seeing these types of numbers where it seemed to be higher than the normal. Right? COVID and everything else associated to that. Um, but, you know, I think last year, you know, when well, we closed out the year, um, and when we talk about gun violence, you know, 28% down on shooting incidents, 26% down on shooting victims, 26% down on shooting murders, and 27% down on all murders. So we'll take any downward motion we can.
0: Which is interesting. I was going to wait and ask this, but it kind of rolls into it now. We still sometimes hear from people who think that uh, records here in Peoria are still being set and that that violence is still out of hand, but this is, this is clearly the other way.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're moving downward. We're moving in the right direction. Is, is there violence? Yeah, I mean, we'd like to see zeros across the board. Every city, anywhere... And any chief would want to see zeros. We want our community to be the safest community possible. Um, we didn't get here overnight, and it's not going to take. We're not going to get away from it overnight. We got work to do still.
0: You mentioned uh, just a few a minute or so ago that uh, this seems like maybe this was the sort of thing that more departments and other parts of the country are are ex- have been experiencing. Uh, is, is there any one thing? Uh, I guess in a broad sense, that you might attribute to some of the some of the violent crime that maybe we and other parts of the country are seeing? Is there any one reason for it, I guess?
1: You know, I don't think anybody can really point to one specific thing other than we call it the COVID effect, right? There's this uh, known as the COVID effect. Why, when COVID kicked, did, did, did we see this? I, I, I can't tell you why is it that we were so locked up inside each other's home inside our homes and you know kind of away from people i i don't know what it is um, but it, there's definitely some type of correlation to it
0: let me ask you uh, specifically about some of the numbers here that that i that really uh Stuck out to me at least uh, outside of the numbers of homicides and things like that. shot spotter alerts were down seemingly considerably. Rounds fired down considerably. Weapons recovered up considerably. Talk about those things
1: well, you know we 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 implemented a chaplain program one part of uh, our gun violence initiative when i when I got hired here, one of our gun violence initiatives that I said I wanted to do was gun buyback. Um the gun buyback alone, we recovered 228 guns from the gun buyback.
0: That's amazing. Um, so it sounds like that in some ways, you know, whether it's economical or whatever, people really want to help in, in some way get this get this under control.
1: Yes. And, and, you know, when you say economical, I don't necessarily just think it's economical because we have people, uh, I'll go back to the gun buyback there were several guns that were recovered, if you wanna call it that, at the gun buyback that are substantially worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. There's a there was one fully automatic weapon that's a very that has some historical significance. It was probably worth forty thousand dollars. It was wow. remember, it was, was given there. There was one that was um there and 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 the officer were there told them hey, this weapon is worth a lot of money. You can go, you know, you don't have to bring it here. You can probably do something. Nope, I want it here. I don't want nobody to get their hands on it. And we also have people who came and dropped weapons off and didn't want the money as well. So, um, and again, I I always like to say we are not anti-gun. We don't do the gun buybacks because we want to take everybody's guns. This gives people an opportunity who don't know what to do with maybe some guns they found or maybe old guns they own, an opportunity to be able to get rid of them. Um, they don't have to get rid of them with us, but we, you know, what we, we're anti-against bad gun ownership, people who just want to leave your guns laying around where somebody can steal them or somebody can uh, injure themselves or injure others with them. That's what we don't want, um, but we're not, we're not against guns. I think everybody here, at the police department, probably owns several guns, including myself.
0: I don't, but then again, I can't be, you know, trusted with things that are metal. But that's another discussion for another that day. Is metal? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, let's talk about some of the other successes here. One, I, the first thing that I noticed that you did right away when you when you took over was uh, you started these directed patrols, and in just the last year, they've they've really had as much of an impact as anything, too, haven't they? I, I believe so. Yes. Talk we a little did, bit did. about those and, and some of the results of those. Last year. I'm sorry. Can you say that again?
1: Yeah, we did. We conducted 21 directed patrols last year.
0: And uh, give me an idea of some of the results from those.
1: Well, I think what important to note is out of in those 21 directed patrols, there were 682 traffic stops made, um, 207 arrests made. So, you know, that theory that everybody that's getting stopped is going to jail, that's not accurate, right? It's, you know, we're dealing, we're talking gun violence, where there's things that, you know, we're going into areas where we know the data shows we need to be, right? Um, I think what's also important to note is that if you look back, you know, you talk about shot spotters in Vietnam, but we, we had uh, just over 1,100 shot spotters last year. During our directed patrols, in those 21 directed patrols, which they're all day, right? So you're talking at least eight hours minimum during those. We only responded, there was only 20 shot spotted response during those directed patrols. So I think there's a direct correlation there that when the officers are out and the word gets out that the police are out, the, the, the airplane may be up in the sky following, whether we have state police has been helping. And, you know, we see all these other agencies involved. The word gets out quick in the community. And guess what? Those that want to commit crime like to hide out and say, well, this is not the time to come out. So I, I think it's, it's definitely a direct correlation there. So there's money that's been seized. There's drugs. There was uh, 1,743 grams of drug seized during this time. Uh, impounded 67 vehicles 33 weapons were seized um so i think it it definitely it definitely made a difference
0: yeah the message is getting out and it's it's something that that you don't necessarily want people to know you're doing while you're doing it right,
1: right well i the word travels fast once you start <laughs> making a couple traffic stops and 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 they see you know State police and, and the Peoria uh, Police Department. and they, I, I think people really realize it quick. If you, if you watch social media, we don't tell you when we're doing them, right? Right. It's a surprise. But when it happens, I think the word spreads.
0: Any idea? I know it's a little early yet, but uh, any idea in terms of at least Miller's directed patrols? You said there was more than seventeen hundred grams of drugs seized. Is, is is that something you're getting a better better handle on too uh, in the city? Is how much of a drug problem there may be?
1: You know, so I think it all it all goes hand in hand, right? When you when you when we talk about gun violence, uh, you have to have the conversation about drugs. So. I, I think it's something that goes hand in hand together. Um, obviously, there's other crimes that can go in hand in hand with that as well, um, you know, stolen vehicles and other things that may involve weapons. But when you talk about drugs, you kind of have to talk about guns as well. And it, it goes hand in hand, so we, we will definitely continue working on that. And so, times when you, 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 you get a gun on somebody, you may find some drugs on them as well.
0: What do you do for an encore? How do you make things? How do you keep things going in that uh, better direction?
1: Well, one is we, we're going to continue to be consistent. We're going to be continue to be consistent. Uh, we'll continue to look, reevaluate everything we did uh, last year, and there was four overarching goals last year. That will continue to move this year is one reducing serious crime. Two to foster community partnerships three, to improve traffic safety, and four, to promote employee development. One of the things that will require even more this year is that every division in this department is going to have to report back to, to me. It's gonna to have to make it all the way to my office. What have we done every month? What have you done towards reaching these four goals? Right. So we're gonna put more emphasis on our supervisors one, to to continue to Promote what our goals are in the department, and make sure that it is translated all the way through the ranks. And then really look at each one of them, and what are we doing to reduce serious crime? Continue to explore our technology, right? LPRs. Where do we need more LPRs? Our camera technology. We we pushed on to Axon, and we're getting uh, license plate recognition cameras in every squad car. Where else can we use technology? we're going to continue to push our gun violence initiative. So for those that may be listening to this or are going to listen to this, we're not going to stop and we can't stop.
0: Chief Echeverria says more detailed statistics will be released in the coming weeks. More Week in Review coming up. A new year, a new legislature. Governor J.B. Pritzker took the oath of office for a second term recently in Springfield, followed a few days later by the 103rd Illinois General Assembly. Here is part of what Pritzker had to say at his inauguration. Edited for time due to applause and cheering through some of the governor's proposals, but this is what he has proposed for another term. Our
2: long-term ambitions must begin with a focus on the people for whom we are building. No policy proposal that I could advance will have a greater impact on our future than the quality care and education we afford to our very youngest residents. For more than 20 years before I became governor, I worked with national leaders and experts in early childhood development to make it a national policy priority. It's time for Illinois to lead. The research is clear. Quality childcare affords parents the opportunity to work or attend school and pursue greater economic security. And preschool improves academic success for our children, yields higher graduation rates, raises lifetime earnings potential, and saves taxpayers money. That's why I propose we go all in for our children and make preschool available to every family throughout the state. And let's not stop there. Let's provide more economic security for families by eliminating childcare deserts and expanding childcare options. It's also our obligation to make college more affordable by removing financial barriers. That's why we need to bring down the cost of higher education. Since I took office, we've increased scholarships by more than 50%. Now let's focus on making tuition free for every working class family in Illinois. Of course, none of this matters if you can't afford a life-saving prescription or procedure. We already capped the cost of insulin, but we ought to continue making health care coverage more affordable and more widespread. Health care is a right, not a privilege. Focusing on the future of working families and making everyday life easier and more affordable for people is what I believe government ought to be all about. We've done a lot on this in recent years. Balancing the budget, paying off debt, and eliminating interest on overdue bills has made it possible for us to provide tax relief. Let's work toward more permanent tax relief. Improving our roads has saved hundreds of dollars a year for drivers, which matters even more when you know that one flat tire or one auto repair can lead to a genuine fiscal emergency or even the loss of a job for many people. Lifting up working families and children also means doing everything that we can to free them from the dangers of gun violence. Four years ago, during my inaugural speech, I memorialized the victims of the Mercy Hospital shooting. A few weeks after I took office in 2019, I stood with the people of Aurora after the Henry Pratt Company workplace shooting. And as we gather today, we acknowledge the victims of the Benito Juarez High School shooting just this past month. I'm tired of living in a world where a mass shooting needs a title so that you know which one we're referring to. Hospitals, high schools, homes, parades, offices, there's no place, geographic or otherwise, that's been spared from the threat of gun violence. Whether it's ghost guns, high-powered semi-automatic rifles, or modified rapid-fire handguns, dangerous weapons are putting families and law enforcement at risk. Now, I'm a firm believer that government functions best when we look for compromise. But I'm done with the NRA having its way when it comes to mass shootings. Why do we allow anyone to easily purchase a rapid fire high capacity weapon that can kill dozens of unarmed people in under a minute? When I campaigned for re-election and promised to pass an assault weapons ban, eight states already had one. Very soon, Illinois must be the ninth and we ought to have a real accounting of the assault weapons currently in circulation. Let's get it done and then the federal government should follow our lead. One thing last year proved is that if given the chance, a bunch of right-wing judges and legislators will take away women's rights. Well, Illinois spoke loudly and decisively in 2022 and declared that in the land of Lincoln, We trust women. The right to privacy and bodily autonomy demand that we establish a constitutional protection for reproductive rights in Illinois. The extremists still want to take away a woman's right to choose, and I don't intend to let them. That's why, yet again, on women's rights, Illinois will lead. Finally, our success as a state goes hand in hand with a determination to fight against a rising tide of hate. Old evils will always find new haters to bring them back to life. Yesterday's Father Coughlin becomes today's Tucker Carlson. (laughs) Racism, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, misogyny, homophobia have existed in some form or another throughout our entire history. For some, the ugly voices that sing those discordant notes Sound like siren calls. Their message is amplified by elected officials or political grifters who look to harness the tremendous power of hate for their own ambition. They pledge allegiance to our nation with one hand and then usher in the means of its destruction with the other. Years before I ever thought about running for governor, I was approached by a man named Sam Harris about the possibility of helping to build a Holocaust museum in Illinois. Sam sat down at my conference table and conspicuously propped his watch up on its wristband, and he said, I just need three minutes of your time. What I didn't know is that Sam had been a highly successful insurance executive earlier in his life, and this is how he would start every meeting. Those three minutes turned into 10 years of my life working to build the Illinois Holocaust Museum and Education Center. But... It was Sam's personal story that has had the most impact on me over time. You see, Sam is a Holocaust survivor himself. He was born in Dublin, Poland, and when the Nazis invaded his town, they murdered Sam's parents, all of his relatives except two sisters, and all of his friends. Sam miraculously escaped extermination in two concentration camps, the conditions of which are almost unspeakable. After the war, he was placed in an orphanage in Poland, and eventually was adopted by Dr. and Mrs. Ellis Harris in Northbrook, Illinois. Sam is remarkable. For nearly 30 years, he has traveled the country to tell his story, to impress upon people that when hatred and bigotry go unchecked, democracy will come to an end, and even potentially lead to genocide. I've learned an awful lot from Sam, and I've realized that for my entire lifetime, progress has been made against bigotry and intolerance, but not anymore. None of us should ignore that our nation has slid noticeably backward, and dangerously so. Just in the last few years, we've seen gunmen killing dozens of Jewish and black parishioners while they prayed, swastikas spray painted on Jewish grave markers, anti-vaxxers attacking Asian American seniors, vandalism and intimidation against Muslim Americans and the LGBTQ community. Hate crimes are increasing at an alarming rate. Sam's story reminds me today as I start a second term as your governor, that the battles for freedom and democracy that Governor Green thought we had fought and won are being fought once again right here at home. That old evils must be faced head on yet again by a new generation. But I bring hope to the battles ahead because time and time again, the people of Illinois prevail when challenges arise. The families of Taylorville didn't give up when a tornado wiped out 100 homes and 22 people were injured. They helped each other out and the community came together to rebuild. When schools closed for eight weeks in 2020, 300 volunteers from Lombard, Villa Park and Oakbrook Terrace rode on a fleet of school buses and provided curbside delivery of 32,000 meals to 3,200 low-income children who would have otherwise gone without a meal. When food banks were facing shortages during the worst parts of the pandemic, Central Illinois farmers delivered tons of free produce. Hate needs two things to thrive. The sense of helplessness that fertilizes hopelessness and the willingness of powerful people to cower in front of a lie. Illinois, we have power and we have hope and a genuine goodness that is rooted in being the place in this country to which all people can come and live free. We must recognize that hate can wield enormous strength, but we must remember the fortitude with which we have always confronted it. Our history gives me hope and confidence that we will never falter.
0: More Week in Review, coming up. An important health concern is marked during the month of January. The Murray-Baker Bridge has been lit up in teal over the past several days for Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, an effort spearheaded locally by the Taswell County Health Department, which can make cervical cancer screenings available to women throughout the area. I spoke about it with Taswell County Health Department spokesperson Sarah Sparkman.
3: We have about 500 women in Illinois will be diagnosed with cervical cancer every year. Um, In the nation, in the United States, it's about 14,000 women. So we know it's something that um, is out there. We want more people to be aware of it and know how um, to detect it and how to prevent it.
0: 500 may seem like a small number given the population of Illinois, but... um I would imagine you could argue that that every case of of a cancer, let alone cervical cancer, is is important to be aware of.
3: Right, and and that's that is the truth. And the more we can raise awareness, the more people are aware of the screenings that can happen. Um, if you get a cervical cancer screening, if there is um, unusual cells or anything unusual, you can usually have that treated and um get that early detection and then the prevention or and then the treatment going fairly quickly 500 in the state of illinois doesn't seem like a lot but we always say if we can change one person's life it's one person that was changed for the better
0: how is it how is it most often uh diagnosed or or what causes it
3: So cervical cancer is caused by HPV. Um, HPV is a very common infection um, that spreads through sexual activity. The health department does um, also offer the HPV vaccine to uh, young people um, and that is through our clinic. Um, We usually start that as children or preteens, boys and girls, um, 11 or 12. Um, It's a series of shots that we ask for them to get up to the age of 16 for women, or I'm sorry, up to the age 26 for women, and then men up to the age of 21 can receive the uh, vaccine. But um, that's something that, you know, that's the way to prevent it. And obviously the early detection is then found through the cervical cancer screening on women.
0: And if I understand right, this is uh, something, at least HPV, that is something that a lot of people may have but may not know they have.
3: That is correct. A lot of people um, don't know that they would have it until a cancer is found, and a lot of times it is it can be throat or neck um, or mouth cancer. So those are other ways that um, HPV is found, but um, for obviously for January, we are uh, focusing on the cervical cancer piece of it.
0: If someone uh, does end up with cervical cancer, is that something that's easily treated, or is the or like with a lot of other cancers, does it just, I guess, kind of depend?
3: It it kind of depends on the how far along the cervical cancer is. Um, you know, that's one of the things that that's why we encourage women to get these screenings as recommended, so that we can detect it early. Um, and that, you know, we are offering a. Uh, cervical cancer screening day on June 30th in Pekin at the Heartland uh, Health Services in Pekin. So we will offer free screenings that day to women in Pekin.
0: At any point, though, um, screenings are they are available at the health department for n- not just Taswell County residents, right?
3: Correct. The Tazewell County Health Department is the lead agency for uh, Tazewell, Woodford, Peoria, and Marshall Counties. So any women... Um, in those four counties who are interested in getting a cervical cancer screening and learning if it is, could be free for them, if they're uninsured or underinsured, we'll just need to call the health department at 309-929-0294, and we can um, determine your eligibility for that program.
0: I know the uh, Illinois Breast and Cervical Cancer Program has been around for, for quite a while. Does that uh, do, do you get help from that? Does that play into this, yes. a lot of what IBC- you do?
3: Yep, the IBCC program does, um, the IBCCP program does fund these services. So our mammogram services and then our cervical cancer screening. So, And I just did give you the wrong number for that. Um, oh, oh, that's all they, right. If they have questions or want to learn more about cervical cancer screening, the number is 309 929 324.
0: Okay. Um, I'll uh, back up sort of to the beginning here and ask you about uh, this this whole uh, week. Uh, the Murray Baker Bridge uh, here between Peoria and East Peoria is uh, lit up in teal for uh, Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, and you had a ceremony about that on Monday.
3: We were at the bridge when it turned to teal. Um, the National Cervical Cancer Coalition um, representative from Peoria Count or from Peoria area is Jolene Whistler, and she um, was there with us. She's a can- cervical cancer survivor, um, and so she was there, and um, we watched the bridge turn to teal, and it was it's it's such a pretty color. So we want to make sure people notice the bridge is, is teal, and that is for cervical cancer awareness month.
0: How did Jolene get involved in that?
3: Um, she. Actually, used to work for a nonprofit in Peoria, and because she was a survivor, she was uh, part of our coalition for the Illinois Breast and Cervical Cancer Program. And then she ran with it. She's very passionate about it, so that was one of the things that she um, kind of took off and ran with. And we're we're continuing it as we go along.
0: That's great. What did she uh, did she say anything uh, during the ceremony?
3: Um, Actually, one of the things that she mentioned is, um, like I said, she is a cervical cancer survivor. However, she did not get her screenings, and um, so she is encouraging women um, to get screenings. If you know, you know, if you love a woman and you, you know, are friends with a woman, make sure that people know that to get the screenings to make sure that they can do the early, you know, If they find it, they can get the early detection and and get the treatment as soon as possible.
0: During our conversation, Sarah Sparkman incorrectly stated the cervical cancer screening day was in June. She later clarified the screening day is January 30th from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. at the Heartland Health Services office in Pekin. There's also a Women's Wellness Fair Monday from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Riverplex in downtown Peoria. Earlier, we mentioned January as Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. January also addresses another important cause. It's Human Trafficking Awareness Month, a problem that impacts young and old alike. WMBD's Julia Bradley talked with Carol Myrna of the Center for Prevention of Abuse, which is part of an important group addressing human trafficking in this area.
4: Human trafficking was um, an area of uh, interpersonal violence or abuse that um, we had started looking at around 2016, um, largely because the U.S. Department of Justice reached out to us based on our, our um, good reputation and our history of being able to receive um, federal funds and being a good investment. Um, they asked if we would be interested in receiving survivors of human trafficking and um, caring for them. And we said, you know, of course. But we were still a little naive at that point. We really didn't think that we would um, see that many folks. But how quickly we learned that we had been seeing seeing survivors of human trafficking for years. Um, We just weren't asking the right questions. So we needed to be able to make sure that our team, uh, who's so well trained in areas of domestic violence and sexual assault and elder abuse and so on, to make sure that we were enlightened about human trafficking and providing the right kind of care for survivors. So um, we started seeing stories that we never dreamed of. Um, Young people caught up uh, for being in vulnerable positions and being uh, frauded or coerced or forced into um, the commercial sex trade or forced labor. And um, when they were able to break free of that lifestyle and come to us, we are able to safety plan with them, we're able to provide um, a really good comprehensive education on what being abused looks like because a lot of people don't realize that they are, and um, able to provide them with a place to stay, uh, and all the care necessary including our um, therapeutic services through our master's level therapy. So. We are um, the sanctioned and funded provider for services involving human trafficking in all of downstate Illinois, funded by the Justice Department, and we are officially partnered with the Illinois State Police, who whenever they have um, trafficking situations, they know that we're the victim service provider uh, of choice, and they reach out to us. And We work with all other victim service providers who are interested. Um, that are like us and provide case management for any trafficking victims that they might receive as well. Now those victims that that you are helping, are
3: they specifically from Illinois or are they coming from other states or what's the situation with with the people that you are seeing?
4: So we've had a wide variety um, of folks, all genders, all ages, all orientations. Um, Every socioeconomic status that you can imagine, our youngest client um, was 8, our oldest client was 62, so uh, definitely all age groups, but they have um, a commonality that almost 90% of all the people that we've cared for as survivors of human trafficking are from central Illinois. So we know that it happens here. We know that it happens not just here, but all across the United States. Illinois is, in fact, ranked 10th in the country for human trafficking numbers, um, and it happens globally. It affects um, about almost 28 million people globally that we know of, um, and we've cared for uh, cases opened and actually are working with or have worked with um, more than 120 survivors since that department opened just a few years ago. Now, is there any indication of why the the number of victims is high here in Illinois? You know, there really isn't one particular reason. Some people uh, conflate human trafficking with um, smuggling or that it involves movement, because trafficking is a confusing word. And it really doesn't involve movement at all. Um, Human trafficking is stealing someone's freedom for profit. So it doesn't necessarily mean that because we have interstates that go from Chicago to St. Louis, um, most certainly people can be moved in that way, but it's not a reason for people to be trafficked here. We see a lot of familial trafficking, which is family. So a parent that might traffic a child for uh, reduced rent or access to uh, a substance that they might be addicted to, um, uh, an aunt. or. Uh, any family member, um, you know, one in four victims of human trafficking are children. So that's one of the reasons that we see such high numbers of family trafficking. And um, one in seven runaways are reported to be victims of child sex trafficking. So um, that can happen anywhere. That's stationary. That can be in anybody's neighborhood. Um, there are top venues for trafficking like illicit massage facilities, um, residential brothels, um, just agriculture work that doesn't necessarily mean that you're moving from place to place so it is um, it happens everywhere, and there is not one particular reason that we see these numbers in central Illinois because you see greater numbers in Chicago you see similar numbers in uh, areas of downstate Illinois it's just a high-profit low-risk crime that is tremendously beneficial for um, the criminals that perpetrate on these people it raises hundred and fifty billion dollars this industry does every year and it's more profitable than Apple so it is a heinous human rights violation of selling a person and uh, it's it's just it's far too easy And um, they look for vulnerable people, and vulnerable people are everywhere. If if you are, you know, listening to the radio and you hear this
3: story and you suspect that someone you know might be involved in something like that, what can you do about it?
4: Well, there's a number of things to do. And, and my goodness, we want people to participate because no community is immune from trafficking. And it is a societal issue. It's not something that, oh my goodness, that looks terrible, that doesn't look right. Um, I hope uh, someone sees that or the police catch on to it. Um, people need to keep themselves safe, first and foremost, but we absolutely want people to feel comfortable paying attention to their surroundings, um, taking notice of a situation, perhaps what somebody's wearing, the time of day, the location of where uh, what you saw happened and reaching out to local law enforcement who are mandated in the state of Illinois to receive trainings on human trafficking. Also trained by us, we are the sanctioned provider for trainings for first responders. So they know that if they have a survivor, that once they talk to that survivor, they can most certainly bring them to us for care if that's what they want. Um, But we want them to call local law enforcement. They could call their crisis hotline at the Center for Prevention of Abuse that's available 24 hours a day, and sometimes it's somebody that doesn't know if what they saw was human trafficking, but they might have an inclination, that a gut feeling that something was wrong. We can walk them through that. We can we can ask them the questions to determine if it is something that local law enforcement needs to be contacted about. But you can also reach out to the um, National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is operated by Uh, a think tank in Washington, D.C. called Polaris, and they are the ones that keep the data. They will also reach out to local law enforcement and our agency. So if someone calls the National Human Trafficking Hotline to report what they saw, it is going to come back to local officials, but the data is also going to be collected so that they can report back that um, in 2021 there were 51,073 calls about human trafficking to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That helps them understand the magnitude of what's going on. And can you give us the number, the hotline number, that is at the Center for Prevention of Abuse? Sure. Our crisis hotline number that's available 24 hours a day is 1-800-559-SAFE or 7233.
0: That does it for this edition of Week in Review. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD News.